The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Right now in fast, a sea of red for the regionals. The big banks and a number of the brokerage stocks, First Republic, Charles Schwab, Bank of America, just a few of the names getting hit hard. Will the banking pain spread across the rest of the market that is desperately trying to rebound? Plus, Washington's TikTok attack. The CEO pressed by lawmakers from both sides of the aisle about the app's ties to China. Data security and the harmful effects of the videos on the app. Did TikTok hurt or help its chances to avoid a U.S. ban at today's hearing? And later, cracking the code at Netflix, the streamer rolling out new anti-password sharing rules in four countries, including Canada, its second largest market outside the U.S. The stock's 39 percent. Does this mean a crackdown here in the U.S. is fast approaching? Uh-oh. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Markets. I had a full house again here on the desk. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the roller coaster ride for the markets. The Dow swinging nearly 650 points from high to low today before closing up a quarter percent, well off the highs of the day. The S&P also eking out a gain, but still closing below the 4,000 level. The Nasdaq leading the gains for the day, rising more than a percent. Semis and China Tech leading the way. Meantime, Treasury yields pulled back with the two-year closing at its lowest level since September. Investors upping their bets that the Fed is near the end of its rate hike cycle. But has anything changed since yesterday? What's what's different? It's like opposite here. It's interesting. You know, Tim talked about this. He's been right, by the way. As long as the Nasdaq has some mm-hmm. you know, relative strength, it's hard for the market to go down. And I think with yields moving the way you just illustrated, I mean, that's going to be supportive. Whether you acknowledge it or not or whether you accept it or not, I mean, that's what's going to happen. No stocks are going to go higher. But what changed? I'll tell you what changed a little bit. The way the banks started rolling over around noon, 1230 this afternoon, that changed seemingly. Bank of America. But HYG, something that Karen's been short. I mean, this does not trade, and I'm not suggesting people should trade it. But that had a pretty precipitous drop around 1230. It's something that doesn't move a percent a day moved about a percent or percent and a half in a very short period of time. So my concern for a while has been when credit rolls over, well, at least for today, the HYG is telling a story. No, credit, and look, if you look at high yield spreads, they are up about 110 basis points from the lows, uh, which was only about a month ago. But, but as, as Guy said, look, the relative strength here, if you look at the triple Qs, so Qs over spies, uh, as long as that works, I think the market works. It's because of this dominant position that these stocks have. This is 29% of the S&P or 30% which I think it's peaked. I mean, I think this is we're not going to see this in two years and we're definitely not going to see it in 10. But for now, um, again, it's meant almost six percent since Signature Bank, since uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, the dollar also has peaked. So you have real significant cross currents. I, I think a closing low in the two year, uh, at least it, it, through the levels that we were even through kind of peak crisis a couple days ago, is very concerning for equities. But right now, Positioning tells me, uh, sentiment tells me, and I think the market goes higher. All right, so I'll just say this. That, like, to your point about the NASDAQ outperformance, to me it's problematic. And I know I've been saying that now for a week, um, and it doesn't make me feel better about the broad market because if I look under the hood, it just tells me that the breath is getting worse, right? So look at today. When Guy just mentioned the banks rolling over. Breath the is banks, terrible. The, I agree. If the banks are the lifeblood of our economy, they look sick, right? And so what's gone on in the NASDAQ, particularly these largest names, feels unnatural, and it feels like the sort of crowding that could come undone very quickly. And then if I look at how energy rolled over today, 
today. If I look at how Russell 2000, so small cap stocks, and I get it, there's a lot of exposure there um, to financials. But like you just mentioned, Guy, credit and the thing that you are short, high yield credit, right? And so what is going to be really like on the other side of whatever comes out of this banking situation, it's going to be access to capital, the cost of capital and small cap companies here are going to have a harder time. They're going to be the hardest hit for this. So I just look at this and I say the Russell is telling you something. I say the banks are telling you something. I think the regionals are telling you that there's going to be a lot of equity that's not going to be worth a whole heck of a lot in the not so distant future. And I think that just some of these large money centers, I know we talked about this earlier in the week, there are problems lurking. I'm not telling you. Uh, You know what I mean? It's just obvious to me. Like It's just really obvious to me. So we can start that again, I guess. I don't know. I felt like we finished it at the time. But I I mean, to me, I don't think the money center banks duration is really the issue. But I agree with you on the regionals. I think they're I don't feel like the storm is over at all. Right. We haven't seen that credit contraction there. And we don't know what regulations. Um, I got an interesting Twitter question about should banks sort of proactively should regional banks proactively decrease their dividend just to shore up the balance sheet even if they don't need to, which is sort of an interesting proposal, actually. Yeah. I think if everyone did it, then, right. then you could hide sort of behind it. But I do think there's more to come. We still haven't seen the resolution of First Republic, which I think is an important one. Does it make you feel better or worse that Charles Schwab comes out and says we, we can cover with 100% liquidity if there's a complete run on the bank? If every single deposit walked out the door, they would be okay. You know, for maybe for another institution, no, it would be the opposite effect, right? We saw that at Silicon Valley Bank uh, when they, everything was absolutely fine there. I think, you know, that Sarah did that interview with the Schwab um, CEO, CEO yeah. which I thought was excellent. And I thought he did a very good job of just calming everyone down. I think him putting up some real money, 50,000 shares bought, I don't know, around here or so. Um, I think they're doing a better job. And that, that customer base, I think, loves Schwab and feels comfortable there. Um, but in general, when a bank CEO says that, that's not good. You know, we, 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 we compare, though, J.P. Morgan to the we don't compare them. We but we point out that J.P. Morgan and the money center banks are also selling off. And, and I go back to different periods when we thought there was a credit moment happening. And so in this sense, you know, Dan's right, whether it's happening or not, you sell banks first and they derate. And that's what's going on here. And the fact that the KRE and regionals closed at fresh lows through where we were um, is, is troubling, but it doesn't have to necessarily be um, fire where there's smoke. And, and I, it, it also means to me that I think there's a lot of dead money in banks, even if you think you're buying something that's going to bounce. And, you know, a couple of days ago, we were hearing some big names in the market. They're out there scooping up banks. And, and I would also just say, I think the breadth in the market is terrible. Mm-hmm. Before Silicon Valley Bank, you were seeing industrials, transports, even energy, but certainly retail. You were seeing them actually break out against the S&P. The breadth was excellent. And now it's it's trapped in those big stocks that I still think um, are at least defensive here. Uh, it doesn't solve the market's problems, but that's what's, what I'm watching. Let's get some more on the Fed's balance sheet, which was just released with more details on how the banks are tapping the lending window. We go to Steve Leesman. Steve. Yeah, interesting uh, uh, changes here and movements. Uh, this is a potential sign of stress. It could be a potential sign of banks, uh, you know, basically uh, uh, preemptively getting their balance sheets more liquid. But uh, the, the Fed's balance sheet went up by $94 billion uh, in the week ending on Wednesday. And that's up $400 billion in the past two weeks. Let me show you how this happened because it's kind of interesting. There's the Fed's traditional discount window, which you'll remember uh, it got rid of the haircuts there. Uh, that actually went down $38 billion. Uh, but the new bank term funding program where you can take your, 
your paper, you're tired, you're poor, your discounted paper and get it financed at 100 treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, that is only. Uh, that went up by $53 billion. Uh, and, and loans to the bridge banks that are closed and the Fed finances that until it's paid back by the FDIC. That went up additionally uh, by $37 million to $179 billion. Before we come off this screen, guys, just want to know the change in the last two weeks is pretty much the same, the amount that's been taken down. So it's still $163 billion on both sides if you compare what happened last week, what happened this week. Uh, federal, uh, sorry, foreign central banks also repoed $60 billion at the Federal Reserve. I wanted to show you one more thing that I've been tracking, which is the gap between what the Fed is priced to, uh, has priced, uh, has, has forecast for the year-end funds rate and where the market is right now. Um, and th that's the Fed balance sheet. But if you look at the Fed market gap, that is now 114. Where is it now? It's a tremendous, uh, 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 that's the January 24 contract. And there it is. Thank you very much, guys. 1.13 percentage points, guys. And you see that was negative before. That meant back in the beginning of March, the market thought the Fed would, would do more than the Fed itself forecast. And now that's come dramatically back the other way, where now the market is baking in that the Fed will be 1.13 percentage points below where the Fed thinks it's going to be at the end of this year. There's a reckoning to come, guys. It's going to be interesting. Which way will it break, though? Um, Steve, going back to the Fed's balance sheet, though, I mean, it looks like the borrowing from the, disc from the traditional regular discount window went down, but we saw a huge pop last week, right, because that was before the special window had opened. We flush it out, but still, even if it remains the same week on week, um, isn't it still a record level? Yeah, it is, but it's not gotten worse. That's a good thing. We don't know, M Melissa, and I'm quoting uh, former Vice Chair Alan Blinder from the last segment, uh, who said, we don't know if it's one bank, two banks, three banks, five banks, ten banks. We don't know how many banks are in there. It could be the same banks that are continuing to roll over the paper. Uh, I think it's good news it hasn't gotten worse. And by the way, um, it's sort of a good deal. I'm working on the math on this, but it's a good deal to go to that new Fed program. You actually would, could make a couple points on the arbitrage there. So it's not necessarily all just distress in there. Maybe there's a little arbitrage going on by the banks. If not, it could be uh, what being used for its intended purposes, which is this. Um, you take your paper there, you get reserves, you get uh, uh, short-term paper, and you can provide the liquidity you need if you have mm -hmm. deposits going out the door. So that's why we're watching that number now. All right. Steve, thanks. Steve Leisman. Pleasure. Karen, what's your take on these numbers? Well, I'm not sure what to make of that BTFP one at, uh, what was it, 38 or 43? Um, 38, I was think. Was it 38? Um, that's still lower. Last week at 12 or 11.7 mm -hmm. or whatever it was, that was way lower than I thought. Um, and so I was thinking, all right, well, maybe just the machinations of getting it up and running is hard to do, right. and now we'll see more. I was surprised we didn't see more more than that. Um, I don't know what to make of that. So um, it, wasn't, I, it wasn't a disaster, though, right? It, the whole thing wasn't a disaster. It was quite surprising last week, not this week. But I, I still sort of feel like this uh, eye of the storm, mm -hmm. not the end of the storm. Part of the bear case that, you know, that I've been making is, is QT, right? The Fed's balance sheet is going to be reduced. If sure. don't fight the Fed, David Tepper, the whole thing. Well, we, had a, we asked Steve a question a week or so ago. Is this the start of QE again or is it the end of QT, whatever? And he submitted that it's probably temporary and we're still going to be in QT. That's the question you have to ask yourself, right? Is this just a temporary thing 
and will they try to then reduce their balance sheet at some future date or was just this a failed experiment? I don't, by the way, I don't know the answer, but it's clear that it's very difficult for them to try to reduce a balance sheet that got yeah. way too big. All right. Meantime, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testifying before the House this afternoon, looking to clarify some of the statements she made yesterday that sent the markets reeling. Let's get more on this with Kayla Tausche. Kayla. Melissa, the Treasury Secretary sought to reestablish her message right out of the gate today by inserting this line in her prepared remarks to reaffirm that regulators are still vigilant. She said, as I have said, we have used important tools to act quickly to prevent contagion, and they are tools we could use again. The strong actions we have taken ensure that Americans' deposits are safe, and certainly we would be prepared to take additional actions if warranted. Later on in the hearing, she explained the thought process from last weekend and underscored that commitment by regulators by saying that they would take action for a bank of any size. I believe our tools worked. And what I've said is that um, these are tools we could use again for an institution of any size if we judge that its failure would pose a With all due respect, I'm... Earlier this week, Yellen said that the emergency funds were not tailored toward a specific bank or class of banks, suggesting that regulators could rescue depositors in a bank of any size, though, goes much further than she has in the past. And while it doesn't mean that there will be a permanent policy change that provides an infinite guarantee, she is providing that implicit vote of confidence here. Melissa. All right. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche. This is exactly what we were talking about yesterday in terms of, right, Karen, you were yes. pointing this out. Right. That statement really took the markets by surprise. It really did. And then Steve was on the show saying, wait, 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 the market right. got too excited the day before. Mm-hmm. This is her trying to um, thread the needle, really, right? I mean, she'd like to present the idea of deposits are safe without saying deposits are safe, saying on a sort of one-off basis, we're here. Right. Whenever right. there is a one-off basis, right. we're here. <laughs> right. Which is, you know, it sort of worked. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. is that a reason to get more bullish on the banks? If we knew that every bank was backstopped, how can every they do deposit- that? How can they do We have $20 trillion in, in deposits and the bigger getting bigger. Um, and it just makes our whole financial system that much more fragile. If we're going to continue, we were just talking about breath in the market. Think about that. If all deposits are going to move into a handful of too big to fail, and then they need an explicit guarantee that those deposits are fine at a time where we just talked about our balance sheet, which is going back up towards all time highs, the Fed's balance sheet towards $10 trillion. I, I mean, my, my point is, it's like, if we're just going to keep kicking every can down the road, sleep you know, sweep everything under rugs, it makes the financial system that much more fragile. It also makes those large banking institutions less interesting from an investment standpoint, because yes, they are going to actually be too big to fail, but what are you going to pay for those, right? Like, what are the regulations that's going to be attached to those? They, they, like, all that sort of thing. I also yeah. just think that the market doesn't believe the Fed, uh, and, and this is the yeah. Fed's reputation precedes them. There's nothing they can do. So the market believed that the Fed was going to push, or that, the, you know, the Treasury was going to, by the way, people People don't even know the difference between the Fed and the Treasury, even because Yellen went from Fed to Treasury. Sometimes it seems like it's the same group. It's not. Um, you need a congressional legislative moment to actually make the changes that they talked about. That's pot- partly why almost there was a scolding going on. But 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 look at Fed funds. So the two things that over the last couple of days the market's wrestling with, and the market still is keeping rates at a place. It's exactly what Steve Leesman said. The market is pricing in that the Fed's going to do. Uh, you know, I see 80 bips on Fed funds from, from May peak to the end of the year. Um, and that's going to be the painful part of the unwind. And that's what we started to do yesterday, although the market took it all back and yields closed even lower today. Yeah. 
Our next guest suggests, <clears throat> excuse me, the Fed has not materially broken anything yet and more banking turmoil could be ahead. Stuart Sopp is CEO of Current, a fintech company. Sir, you've been sitting here listening to our conversation. Uh, what would what would instill confidence um, in the banks for investors? In your, I mean, is it blanket insurance? Does that make you feel better? Um, I think it is important to look at what's going on right now. The banks that are going down and in receivership are primarily business banks, Silvergate, uh, SVB, uh, Signature. And so they have a deposit concentration that is primarily through like either a crypto angle or like a startup angle. And of course, they have deposits that are way bigger than the 250K uh, FDIC insured. So they're, they're able to move that money very quickly. And also, given the backdrop of how startups and, and the, the business uh, conditions are, they're very sensitive to some of these, uh, some of these um, conditions. So I think in terms of like the business banking community, there's very little we can do right now other than some of these guarantees that are going on. I think there's a very different story for consumers at this point. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you can't set, make a set of rules to guard against stupid risk management of your own portfolio, right? I mean, that's just, you can't No, we talk it. about it all the time. You know, Stuart, in a past life, you were a bond trader, you were a currency trader. I mean, those go hand in hand. What do you make of some of the, Tim was just talking about some of the absurd moves we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks, but literally over the last couple of years. Yeah, some of these interest rate moves are insane. Um, we've seen some of the hedge funds that have recently gone down. So there's professional pain as well as consumer pain. When you think about the consumer, you, a lot of people who are living paycheck to paycheck are on variable rate, variable rate mortgages, variable rate auto loans, uh, credit card debt that is now north of a trillion dollars. Now, if you squint, it is back on track in terms of like, you know, the, the, the curve that we were on, the slope that we we're on, but it is excessive. So the thing that worries me right now is the interest rate volatility that infers the equity, the, the profitability of some of these banks. That's the thing to look for right now. And, and looking at the consumer, as we go forward into Q2, Q3, I'm a little bit worried. Talk to us a little bit about that, like to Guy's point. I, I know you were a macro trader in, during the financial crisis. Yep. So going back, you know, 15 years or so. So now you built a fintech company that is actually competing with the incumbent um, banking system. So when you think about the, the, the environment that we're in right now, does it feel fragile to you? If you put your old you know, trading cap on versus now as a builder um, and trying to challenge these incumbents, I'm just curious because you just heard us talking about it. Like, you know, we're not trying to like create some sort of fear about the situation. I have a lot of scar tissue, as many of us do as investors or traders from that period 15 years ago, and some of it's kind of bubbling back up. I'm just curious, like, how is this affecting you and what you're building? Yeah, that's a good question. So with my macro trading cap on, I would say squinting at the Fed, I think Powell's doing an okay job. I know, not great, but an okay job because he raised 25. He'd had his Volcker moment yesterday. Um, we're seeing non-systemic bank runs. They're sort of idiosyncratic in, in, in you know, one after the other. And so as I squint from a macro perspective, I'm like, this is okay. And I think they're firming, which is liquidity plus tightening. That's what firming means to me. Um, so I think there's more pain to come. So from a macro perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, okay, there's going to be more bank runs. Regionals are more fragile than the big money market center banks. And we're going to see more pain. And I think the Fed expects more pain, especially the Treasury as well. From a consumer standpoint, that's a little different. I think there's a little bit more to worry about. And from a tech CEO standpoint, the, the SVB event was highly, highly disruptive and, and extremely painful uh, at the time. But from a fintech perspective, is it good that people are questioning their traditional banks at this point, or does it all just go to a JP Morgan or Bank of America? I think for, for most consumers, they're going to make a choice if they're over 250K FDIC insured, or whatever the new number is going to be, right? Clearly, there's, that's up for grabs. Uh, for the majority of Americans, they don't really have that kind of money, and also they feel fairly protected with either a fintech or a regional or even a money center. Uh, just remember, money center banks, the reason why fintechs exist is because they don't serve the majority of Americans properly. So that's why we exist. 
Stuart, thank you. Good to see you. Thank so you. Let's stop. Tim, what do you think? Well, I, I think part of the issue that we're not addressing are consumer credit issues that I think a lot of, you know, and again, fintechs are many different. It's a big it's a big classification that could really be disruption in terms of access and access to products. Doesn't mean they're taking credit risk per se. There are a lot that are. And, and I think investors really need to do their homework because the first round of the market sell down was sell all fintech because these were high multiple tech stocks in many cases didn't make money. Um, I, I think there are some out there that have a lot of credit exposure. And, you know, we see we're going to talk more about black you know, the, the buy now, pay later garbage that I think a lot of people invested in is something that is right in the crosshairs of a consumer credit. The big banks have never been stronger in terms of their balance sheets. I think they're fine. I think what we're all saying, and I saw it second one, they are derating as we speak. You can't own these things like you could two months ago. And I was a big believer that the money center banks were, were game on. Okay, so they're derating, but do they deserve a re-rating? What's the difference between derating and re-rating? is just, your, you know, your P is going down, what your work's okay. going down. Uh-huh. And that may or may not be the, a re-rating would imply that there is a new normal, that they have to be judged by a different standard in terms of their operating environment. I think we really need to hear from them, right? We need to hear how, is, how have things changed for them? The massive amount of inflows, for example, when we hear from money center banks, that, I think that's going to be really important. I think that to the extent that the regionals are so hampered by either fear or regulation or both, um, that potentially works to the bank's benefit. But if we see regulation applied to them as well, because they're now even bigger, even you know, scarier if they fail, we can't have that. I don't know. I want to hear it from them. More regulation is going to hurt the smaller banks. I mean, Dan said it, Tim, Karen said it. The big, it's fascinating that you know, we were in this era where you don't want banks to be too big to fail. That's exactly what the last three or four weeks is creating. Well, Credit Suisse was else. one of the 30, right? right Systemically exactly. important. And, yet, and, 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 and Switzerland as a country was, is, I mean, think about it. They, they are the banking capital of the world. And, and suddenly that was in question. Yeah. Coming up, Electric Details forward, breaking out numbers for its EV business for the first time ever. How the numbers are stacking up next. Plus, Block gets rocked. A short seller taking aim, the company formerly known as Square. Details from the scathing report as well as Block's response straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back into. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Ford shares dipping today after projecting a $3 billion loss in its EV business for 2023. It was the first time the company broke out the results for the union unit. There was a more than $2 billion loss in the EV unit last year, but Ford affirming overall profitability across brands and saying it's aiming for the EV unit to hit a 10% profit margin by 2026. 
a billion dollars more in losses, Tim. You know, and it shows you some of the pain that Tesla was in years before where, you know, my big issues with the companies there were they were not profitable and they didn't have the balance sheet to compete. That's different. We won't get into that. But I think in Ford's case, um, you know, you look at what they have said about the efficiency of their overall company and what they're looking to do in terms of streamlining different divisions. And it tells you that they're going to continue to lose money. Uh, And it also doesn't even address some of the battery issues that I think that they all have. Why do you think they they do this, Karen? I feel like that there's some other reason why they would break out units. Like there's a spinoff coming. There's a it's right. better for valuation purposes. Yeah, it might be better for valuation purposes. That's what I would think. Uh, I guess also the idea of more transparency is generally better. I don't know if they want to put different assets with different cash flow, like different debt with different. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. And then of course it begs the question: GM, what's yours going to look like? Oh, yeah, exactly. Phil LeBeau interview this morning was fantastic. He pushed back pretty hard on Ford, who can't get out of their own way. And I've been wrong many times in this, but just go back. I mean, June of last year, October of last year, December, each time we get down to this 11 and a quarter area, we bounce. So if you, and there's the chart right there. So if you're looking to trade it, here's your level. But man, oh man, they just can't really, they have not figured it out yet. Wait, are you going to bring up Tesla? No. Okay. No, well, I mean, listen, Tesla lost billions of dollars for years trying to build an EV business. I mean, like, I actually, but I agree with you. I think well, why wouldn't you get it out there as long as you actually don't think you're going to massively, like, get that number wrong, yeah. right? So I think they're probably being a bit conservative about that. And I want to say something about the other night. I did say something really stupid, okay, at the end of my conversation Wait, about specific. Tesla. <laughs> you know, you guys, there is lots of love here. There is. That's why I I actually said something really stupid and I got kind of skewered on Twitter about it. I said, you know, I, I said something about Twitter or Tesla having more to lose than like a GM or a Ford uh-huh. in this thing. And I think in some degrees they do as it relates to market share and their margins and stuff like that. But that's more of a near term thing. But I said something like in 100 years, GM's going to be around, blah, blah. Maybe they're not. Who knows? I don't know. I, that was dumb. But listen, you know, we're saying things on the fly a little bit. And I got that happens one. happens all the time. It was kind of dumb. I mean, I say stupid things constantly. Well, I mean, no. Anyway, yeah. I'm not even going to talk about Guy. Uh, a lot more. So fast you only money. have an hour. That's why, <laughs> wise guy. A lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A new short on Block. A scathing short seller report hitting the stock of the company formerly known as Square. The accusations and Block's response next. Plus, top talker on the hill. TikTok CEO facing lawmakers as a potential ban on the app looms overhead. The impact on social stocks ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks managing to close out the day in the green as investors further digested yesterday's Fed rate hike. The Dow climbing 75 points, the S&P up three-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq leading the gains, jumping one percent. Its third positive session in four. Meantime, shares of Block getting crushed after short seller Hindenburg Research put out a scathing report on the fintech company. It alleges that Block allowed criminal activity to operate with lax controls and highly inflated its cash app user base. The report describing Block as taking a, quote, Wild West approach to compliance. Block did respond to the report saying, we intend to work with the SEC and explore legal action against Hindenburg Research for the factually inaccurate and misleading report they shared about our cash app business today. Adding, Hindenburg is known for these types of attacks, which are designed solely to allow short sellers to profit from a declined stock price. We have reviewed the full report in the context of our own data, believe it's designed to deceive and confuse investors. Block went on to say that it is a highly regulated company with regular disclosures, compliance programs, and controls. The stock, though, still dropped nearly 15% after this report. What do we make? I mean, you know, oftentimes short sellers dig up stuff that end up to be true. Sometimes they don't. Then we don't hear anything about it because they've already put on a position. They've ridden the stock down, and then they're out. Well, Hindenburg's got a very large, a very loud voice in the market, yes. and and you know a lot of it's deserved. Um, and there's always a little bit of sizzle around what's what's going on here. I, you know, my guess is that there are plenty of fintechs out there, um, and plenty of banks where there's illegal activity going on on their platforms. I mean, I, I don't know that this is is unique to to them. But I, I read a bunch of research reports today addressing their research report. Um, and it just seems to me that a lot of analysts are pointing out that there's not a lot of new here. Um, and that, again, they're following traditional, you know, know your client and AML protocols. Um, and that in terms of knowing your client and, and also then matching the uh, cash app users against some of the other filings, you know, it seems like people are, are pushing back a little bit. Karen? Yeah, this one, it's interesting, is not received nearly as uh, sort of embraced entirely. And um, I think that a different point I want to make is the 13D rules, I really do think, should apply to short sellers as well, right? So we have to know someone... What their position is. What their position is. Yeah. And whether it changes, right? I, we would, I would really want to know if they were to cover, let's say, at 50. I, don't, I have no idea what... Maybe they're looking for... I don't know where they're looking for it to go. But I do think that... Short sellers are allowed. You throw something out there, and it's very hard to, to clear that up, right? Even if what they say isn't true. But that would only be triggered by a threshold holding, correct? Yes. Yeah. Right. But I think it should be of similar size. Why not a 13D at 5%? Why not a short at 5% as well? And to have to update it. So that's, that, I think, would level the playing field because it is unfair when short sellers just put that out there. Coming up, the chief TikToker making his case as lawmakers grill the Chinese video app CEO. So how likely is a ban of TikTok? And how are the other social stocks reacting? More on that next. Plus, a binger's best day ever this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shares of Netflix surging as the company cracks down on password sharing. So should this one stream into your portfolio? Oh, wow. We will discuss that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. TikTok CEO testifying on Capitol Hill today, defending his company against a potential ban in the U.S. Social stocks sizzling higher on the heels of this. Let's get right to Julia Borson for more on the story. Julia. 
Well, Melissa, TikTok was certainly under attack from both sides of the aisle today amid a growing call to ban the popular app or force a sale of it by its Chinese parent company. Members of Congress expressing concern over TikTok's damaging effect on teens, as well as the ris risks associated with its Chinese parent company, both in terms of the privacy of U.S. data as well as the risk of user manipulation. TikTok CEO Sho Chu saying that they're no worse than U.S.-owned platforms. The potential security, privacy, content manipulation concerns raised about TikTok are really not unique to us. The same issues apply to other companies. We believe what's needed are clear, transparent rules that apply broadly to all tech companies. Ownership is not at the core of addressing these concerns. But rival stocks, U.S.-based Meta, YouTube parent Google, Snap, and Pinterest, their shares all moving higher today on that attack on TikTok. And Bernstein saying that Meta, Google, and Snap stocks could jump further on a confirmed ban, saying that TikTok's 150 million users and their 2.8 trillion annual minutes would go to Instagram's Reels because most top TikTok creators cross-post on Reels and to Snap's Spotlight, which has the highest demographic overlap with TikTok. But it is worth noting that if there is reform of Section 230, which was mentioned today, all the social platforms could suffer from having to bear more liability for the content on their platform. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, it's interesting that there are two issues I feel like are, are being sort of just not conflated, but you know, intertwined in a way that they shouldn't be. There is the issue of data and where it's housed and how it's used and who has access, et cetera, which they are addressing supposedly right now with Project Texas. But let's put that aside for a minute. There's also the content manipulation, which as he, the CEO, just outlined. Everybody has this problem. It's not a Chinese problem. And it's not like Chinese actors can't go onto U.S. social media sites and do the same if they wanted a misinformation campaign. We've seen that before. Yeah, I guess it's the influence, though, right? And so one of the first questions that was started out in that hearing was a list of names or of people who are associated with the parent company ByteDance who are also very close to the CCP, the communist, you know, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, so, I get that. What, what, but, but isn't that the thing? No, but the that, influence but, is, yeah. is, is a that, very different issue than the data. I mean, should we be, you know, concerned and ashamed that actually our, our culture is revolving around TikTok? Possibly. But it has nothing to do with the data issue. What's at the center of all this is the fight over technology between the U.S. and China. Um, and this is something that is really at the center of, of what is, uh, you know, I think something that is front and foremost in global geopolitics for the next decade. But it's been going on for three years and it's getting worse. And that's that's what this is about. And, and, and it goes right back to U.S. companies that want to operate in China. I mean, the Chinese Commerce Ministry said this morning or last night um, that there's going to be serious ramifications. And that also the, the, the globe would question um, doing business in the U.S. if they forced uh, a sale here. And whether that's true or not, the Chinese government has spoken for the first time on this. And it's, it's not pretty. Yeah. That to me, that's the story. Like, what is the, what's the reciprocity here? What are the right. ramifications? What are the Chinese going to do in retaliation of all this rhetoric that's coming? And I say it hasn't happened yet. I hope it doesn't happen. But the companies in the crosshairs are clearly names like Starbucks, McDonald's, and right. Apple's at the top of that list. And I don't think that risk is being priced in nearly significantly enough.
So what does this mean for the social media stocks and for these other companies operating in China? Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster with Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, good to have you with us. You know, you've said on past shows it's not a matter of, of, of when. It's not, not a matter of if. It's a matter of when, when, when it comes to a ban on TikTok. So if you are of that belief, do you think that when that day does come, whenever it does come, that there will be ramifications? Are you looking at Apple any differently? Are you thinking that there should be um, some risk embedded in the multiple because of this possibility of, of just retaliatory action. I can say this is that Tesla and Apple and Nike, they were all pinned to this five and a half hours of hearing today. It wasn't just people who were interested in Meta and, and uh, TikTok. And I think that there is a piece here. And I think Tim hit it, hit it right on. There are two topics today. One was related to the hearing. The hearing was intense. It was five and a half hours of TikTok bashing bipartisan haven't seen anything like it in 30 years and then there's the political piece to it this gets to your point uh, melissa about what some of these other companies are and today was largely theater the reality is this is much bigger than TikTok. this is about u.s china relations and a banning of TikTok is going to be negative for u.s china relations i think it will intensify uh, some of the the separation that's there and uh, Biden administration, it's unlikely that they uh, want to pursue that right now. That's why they've been talking about this sale. And so my sense is that we have some time here. I think that Biden is going to, uh, the administration is going to want to allow TikTok to remain available, at least till we get some cooling down. A lot has happened in the last two months between U.S. and China. And so, uh, yes, is the answer to your question is that that did, as I was just processing, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit I watched five and a half hours of this today. Uh, it was that riveting. And uh, at the end of it, what I was, as I was just putting my thoughts together, it came up, what does this mean for Tesla, Nike, Apple? Gene, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. As this TikTok sort of groundswell has continued and Meta has gone up, maybe not just Meta, but how much do you think is now priced in for the possibility of TikTok being banned and the benefit that would accrue to definitely would be I, I don't think it's fully priced in uh we're shareholders of meta and uh, we think it's going to happen but we don't think it's uh it's priced in at this point uh, how much i think that there's probably 10 percent upside keep in mind over the last year there's been four issues that meta stock has faced one of them has been concerned that TikTok is going to be uh, kind of snip uh, uh, Meta's growth for the next few years. And so I think that's a big deal. That's a sleep well at night knowing that investors don't have to worry about TikTok. I would say this, too. I mentioned some of the companies, uh, some of the other big tech companies. But this is not just all good for Meta either, is that uh, if, if you as you watch this, uh, you see there is a huge concern about the addictive and dangerous aspects of short term uh, format video in social media. Uh, that's reels uh, as well. And so I think that, uh, well, this seems to be a clear benefit in the near term, which I don't think it's priced in, but we're going to see uh, changes. I mean, I think it's getting to a point where uh, now whenever you see bipartisan, I mean, that's a that's a sign that something real is happening here, that there is going to be some changes. And I think the spotlight when it gets banned, I think it's a function of time when TikTok gets banned. I think that Meta will come back in the spotlight and have to answer some of the same questions that TikTok was trying to get asked today. Hey, Gene, while we have you, it, it separate some of these geopolitics and what it could mean for a discount rate on a company. But, but 
while we have you, we're talking about mega cap tech outperforming the, uh, the S&P by a massive amount, um, the re-rating on a relative basis of, of mega cap tech. Um, your sense on valuations, and I, and I look at Apple within 10% of uh, an all-time blow-off high, um, leaving China aside with demand pull forward, uh, a very different equity environment. What are you thinking about this move? So I mean, Apple specifically, I'm still optimistic. I still think that there is upside here in part because you know, we have, uh, there's, uh, yes, potentially some demand poured forward, but there's been some demand pushed out as well because of some of these, uh, some of the economic piece. And so I think you're going to see a strong cycle in the back half of the year. Uh, I think there's other categories that Apple can get into. I, I, I'm still, yes, there's geopolitical risk with Apple, but I'm still optimistic. I think this can be, the stock can go much higher. Gene, thanks. Gene Munster Thank of Deepwater. You got to wonder, you know, an operator like a Starbucks, they have a loyalty program here in the United States. They have a lot of customer data. Apple, too. Whenever you make a purchase, they have all your information. How is that data stored in China? And what is the view of China? You know, they can easily say, point the finger back at us and say, look what you guys are doing. Yeah, If you're going to sure. do this to us. For sure. And so that rhetoric yeah. continues to get ratcheted right. up. And then what's the next, you know, what happened? And again, we don't even talk about China, Taiwan, but what happens if something there? What is the hands get forced of these U.S. multinationals that have put so much into the whole China story. And I don't know, again, 15 percent, 20 percent in our business, we call that tail risk. But it's, in my opinion, it's not being priced in at all. Coming up, stranger things have happened. Netflix rallying today as a crackdown on password sharing comes into focus. But can the stock keep streaming? We'll debate that next. And throughout March, we are celebrating women's heritage. Here's our own Morgan Brennan. When I was in my 20s in college studying anthropology, I, on a whim, on an archaeological dig in Kenya, shaved my head. After I did it, I was surprised to find myself mourning the loss of my hair and what it meant for my identity as a woman. Now, eventually I embraced it, I even had fun with it, but it was this literal lesson in challenging society's assumptions about what my life should look like. That would be my advice to other women, and really to everybody. Don't let anyone tell you who or what you should be in this world. Get curious, get experimental, challenge the status quo. Even if you try something and it doesn't work, you will be stronger for it and you never know what opportunities may arise. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Netflix surging more than 9% for their best day of the year. The big jump coming as the company's new anti-password sharing rules take effect in Canada. The crackdown hasn't come yet for the U.S., but could the move bode well for the stock? This is a big market for Netflix, the second biggest outside the United States. So if you're sharing your password right now, you better put it's Netflix. Hard, it's hard to chase <laughs> Netflix on a move like today with 8% move or something, big volume day. But they have seemed to have figured out all the ills that they had when it was $180 stock and everybody hated them. I think you can, if you've owned the stock, you absolutely stay with it here. I mean, I still think this can trend up to $400 and still be a reasonably valued stock, but it's hard to initiate a long position on the back of what we saw today. And that's that's where I would go with this, because it, you know, at, at, at 400 bucks, it's roughly uh, 26 and a half times where people have them at around 1475. And, and that's a world where, again, some of this is accretive. I, it's hard for me to see where the password sharing is something that's negative for the company. That's why I thought, you know, there was a lot of um, overreaction to that. I, I, I realized there may be some pushback. And I think actually leading up into this, Netflix was under some pressure and, and the release has actually been a bit of a relief. Yeah. Um, in an environment where tech is a flight to safety trade, 
Should, should there be a closure because this is an underperformed, the NASDAQ? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Year, when, when Tim's point about uh, like all these moves being accretive, the ad supported model, all that sort of stuff, let's say it doesn't cannibalize too much or whatever. You look at like consensus for their gross margins, they're going up, like, like they're expected to go up. So if you're expecting like 15, 20% earnings growth for the next couple of years and sales growth about 10%, stock trading 27 times, it's, it's not unreasonable. We've spent so much time on this desk talking about how the valuation was one of the big issues with this story over the time. So it seems kind of right size if they can get some of these things. And they're making money in their streaming business now. There's free cash flow there. They're the only ones that can say it. Coming up, a biotech boost. Shares of Regeneron jumping on some positive drug trial results. But not everyone thinks the moves will last. How one options trader is playing the name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pharma giants Regeneron and Sanofi surging today after a jointly developed asthma drug showed strong COPD trial results. But options traders are pumping the brakes on Regeneron despite the positive news. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so Regeneron traded 3.6 times its average daily options volume and bearish flow did slightly outpace the bullish bets that we saw today. The most active contract were the April 725 puts. We saw a purchase of 720 of those for $4.37 a contract. But the important thing to think about, that was only three and a half percent out of the money yesterday. And that purchase price is less than a half a percent of the current stock price. My bet, this is probably a hedge by somebody who was happy enough to see today's bump, but figured they could spend a little bit of money in case it gives back those gains. Mm. Guy, what do you think? You think Regeneron at $802 stock, all-time high is an expensive stock. And price $800 is a big number. Mm-hmm. Valuation-wise, it's not an expensive stock. It's trading at 17 and a half times next year's numbers. So in the biotech world, this is extraordinarily reasonable. So I hear what Mike is saying. Maybe it's a hedge, but you still got to stay with this name here, I think, Melms. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe for more options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow because tomorrow's Friday, 5.30 Mm. p.m. Eastern time. Up next, we got your final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn in our one minute, seven seconds, Tim. <laughs> we're, we're giggling about guys' big win in the casino. Sure. And we'll leave it at that. Maybe we can take this to Twitter. Um, Merck, I don't think you're playing the casinos with these big pharma names. And in fact, with Merck, I think a little rich to its peers on valuation, but uh, love the pipeline. Chairwoman. I'm right in the same the same group with you. I like Bristol Myers, a decent defensive place to hide in a somewhat turbulent market. Dan. All right, this may surprise you. So I say dumb things on the show every <laughs> once in a while. I also make dumb trades on my own every once in a while. So I added to the QQQ. This is what I'm kind of leaning into. Gee. What is, when you let somebody behind like the fifth wall or something, what is that? Fourth. Fourth, fourth? fifth. Is I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. But just curtain. so we understand, it was 1994-95 at a craps table at Foxwoods. Well, my winning. friend Foxwoods. Yeah, yeah it was wow. fantastic. I'll do a whole is show that a on that. It is, Tim. Ma- McDonald's comes out MCD. <laughs> Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, a CNBC special taking stock with Mike Santoli starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.